congregation, I'm sure you remember Nicodemus, the Pharisee, one of the rulers of the Jewish people in Israel, so self-righteous, so confident, a covenant man, he thought, circumcised, he did his best, and he approached the Lord Jesus, right? Spoke to him, highly esteeming him, because the master in Israel, he could do those miracles. And do you remember the Lord Jesus' answer? Was so pious, so self-righteous, such a Jew. And Lord Jesus replied, kind of as a blow to him, very bluntly, Nicodemus, you need a new heart. You need to be born again. You're only born once so far. That needs to happen again. A major change of heart is necessary, the Lord Jesus said. And Nicodemus, he did not get it. He did not understand it at all. So he said, so we have to be, be back into our mother's belly, be born again. I don't understand it. And the Lord Jesus spoke about him, about, about, with him, about that new birth. And after that, the Lord Jesus could have left it. That's it. Be born again, come back. We'll talk again. But no. The Lord Jesus had a desire to speak more, to speak more to this man. And he ended the talk, the first part of the talk, with, I've told you earthly things, and you believe not. How shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Why did the Lord Jesus suddenly speak about heaven and being ascended up to heaven, coming down from heaven, which is of heaven, well, I told you heavenly things. So the Lord Jesus is going to preach unto him with a text from the Old Testament. A text from, the, from Numbers 21 about that brazen serpent. And the Lord Jesus is going to preach him the word of God. And pointing to the Son of Man, he's preaching him the Lord Jesus Christ and the necessity of him and the faith in him. So that is what our text is about tonight. Verse 14 is the text. And as Moses, as Moses, like Moses, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Solomon be lifted up. So far. The serpent in the wilderness is the theme for tonight. The serpent in the wilderness. And with the help of the Lord, five thoughts. First, killing serpents. Not only one, but many of those snakes slithering and biting people and causing lots of harm. Killing serpents. serpents. Secondly, a lifted up serpent. That brazen serpent lifted by Moses so that all people could see him. Lifted up serpent. 
In the third place, a cursed serpent. In the fourth place, looking up to the serpent. And finally, a life-giving serpent. The serpent in the wilderness, killing serpents, lifted up serpent, a cursed serpent, looking up to the serpent, a life-giving serpent. Congregation, the king of Edom refused. Messengers of Moses approached him and asked him, could we travel through your country? We stay on the road. We won't do any harm. We won't steal. We won't attack. We do not plan to make war on you. Just give us freedom to travel through the midst of your country to the land of Canaan, please. And the king of Edom refused. He said, no, absolutely not. No chance. And the messengers came back to Moses and told him, no, we, we can't go there. They will be in big trouble when we do it. And Moses was disappointed, had informed the people, we can't go there. We have to go a different route, around, around Edom. It's quite away from here. We first go the, the wrong direction. We go away from Canaan, and they make a circle and come back to Israel. The people didn't like it at all. They had rescued them from Egypt. They had helped them in the, in the desert. They had given, he had given them enough to drink and enough to eat, and especially that manna that was so precious to them. But now they're discouraged and upset with Moses and with the Lord. And they commented and said, why did they leave Egypt anyway? We should have stayed there. And now this, are you going to die in the wilderness here? What's the purpose? They're so angry, angry with Moses and angry with God, critical of the Lord's ways. Not content, not happy, not thankful. Not only unthankful, also despising the manna, despising the God-given manna, the, the miracle from, the, from heaven that was every day there except on the Sabbath day. And they said, we are, it is loathing, it's boring, we don't like it anymore. What a serious sin. So the people lamented, and the people complained to the Lord, and the Lord took that heart as being rejected, as being accused. And therefore, those serpents came. I don't know how big they were, maybe small ones. Some say they were red. It says fiery serpents. Others say, no, that's not the color. And then they bite, it gives you a burning sense on your skin, and that's why they call fiery serpents. We see there some children and other people getting sick after being bitten, poisoned, and falling on the ground, and sighing through sighs yet, and their life is gone, and they die. So many died. How come? The Lord sent those snakes. The Lord did that. It's not just the way it was. It was not Satan doing that. It was the Lord doing it. The Lord 
sent those snakes to harm them, to warn them, to punish them. It speaks of the wrath, the wrath of God. The Lord was angry with them. In holy indignation, he sent the people, those serpents, to bite them. Many died. And the people are crying out to Moses, Moses, help us, Moses, pray for us. We were wrong. We have sinned against the Lord. We feel sorry for this. And Moses, in between brackets, the mediator again, an example of the Lord Jesus as well, prayed to the Lord. And the Lord heard him. And the Lord heard the people. The Lord didn't say, well, I will send all those snakes away. I will kill all those snakes. No. Lord said, I let those snakes alive. And I let those snakes bite people. But I give you a remedy on top of that. I give you a solution. Because the Lord said, make a brazen serpent, a brass serpent, a copper serpent, a metal serpent, on a pole, lift up on high, and then people bitten by the snakes see it and look at it on purpose with intent, then they'll be healed. The Lord has given a means for that. And Moses is lifting up his arms to the Lord in prayer. The Lord answered him. And now the Lord is also hearing them. People bitten by the snakes, look at the serpent, are healing. And the Lord gives that remedy. It works. So what do we learn from this so far? Let me mention a few texts from the Bible. Hebrews 13, let your conversation, it's not only talk, conversation, the Bible is also walk, your, your life, your behavior, let your conversation, let your walk and talk be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. It's enough. Take it. Accept it. Be content with it. Let the Lord reign with it. He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Or think of 1 Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment. Contentment is great gain. But we brought nothing into this world. And we certainly can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Are we content? Are we hungry for more? Do we, want, do we like more riches? The love of money is the root of all evil. No. Of Philippians 4, now that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, that worth, that worth to be content. Contentment. It is something you're not happy with. You say, I want that. I have, I need that. I upset the Lord if I don't get it. Oh, that's a dangerous route. Whatever it is. May it please the Lord to give us a different tone. A worthy tone. Uh, may, may the Lord make, make us beggars and dependent upon him. And looking for the kingdom of God and its righteousness and all the other things. Important things. 
All the other things will be added under. Lord will say, I give you also that contentment anyway. But also you learn how serious it is to despise God's gifts. Despise the gift of the manna. Despise the gift of the Bible. Despise the gift of the services. Despise the gift of baptism. To, to, to despise the gift of the Lord's Supper. To just say, I don't need it. It's boring. I don't like it. Not, not, nothing for me. Oh, how serious of a sin. And those snakes are following not only Israelites, but in a sense, they're also after us. All those snakes are surrounding us. Also tonight. The consequence of sin and also sin itself. And the anger and the hardest pleasure of a righteous God. Killing snakes. Let's go to the second thought. Lifting up of the snake. So Moses, going back to Moses, Moses had to make a long pole. I don't know how long, as high as he could. And there was a brazen serpent on the top of it. And he said to the people, look at that serpent and you will be healed. Some are quite far distance away already. I don't know how big the camp was. But Moses made him available, made him visible, and showed him the salvation. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Lifting up. In what sense? Well, Moses lifted up the serpent, made him with the help of some artists and people good at doing things with metal. He fixed it on that pole. They lifted it up. Moses did It is an example, though, of the Lord Jesus being lifted up on the cross. High, visible for people. It also points to the Lord Jesus being honored, being exalted in prayer, to exalt him, lifted up, as he is worthy of. We think also about his ascension, right? Verse 13, and no man has ascended up to heaven but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. So the Lord Jesus lifted up in heaven and is now at the right hand of the Father. But also in the preaching, in the preaching, the Lord Jesus lifted up in such a way that all people that hear the gospel can see him and can hear the voice, look. Upon him, he is the only Savior. What a blessing. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. But whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Moses did, also we do tonight. He is the only solution. Maybe there are some people tonight here in despair who are listening with us over the phone. In despair, they feel worthy of death and hell. And they feel bitten by the snakes 
and they are dying. They feel I'm dying. I'm in, I'm in that irreversible process of dying. And they're not, I'm not happy at all. And they feel that they have to leave this life. You have to say goodbye to everything. They're dying. Literally dying. And they feel also spiritually dead many. Have no hope. Tonight, it's my privilege to lift up in the, in the sermon the Lord Jesus Christ. Whosoever believes in him will not perish, will not die, but will have eternal life from God by just seeking salvation only in him. Brings you the third thought. A cursed serpent. One of the most strange things in this Bible chapter is that the Lord Jesus is compared to a snake. Right? Lord Jesus is doing a sermon for, for Nicodemus about the snake in the wilderness, the serpent in the wilderness being lifted up, and Lord Jesus compares that to himself. Is that a wise choice? Of the Lord Jesus? Of course it is. It is so special, but you have to realize that on purpose, the Lord did not show an innocent lamb on the ball. Not a lamb. Not a dove. Not a meek animal. But the worst of all, the most offensive of all, the most unliked animal on on earth, a snake, cursed snake that is offensive, that is repugnant, and that snake was on the on on, on the stake, was on the on on the on on that standard. And the Lord Jesus said, So and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. Why is that? Well, do you see the Lord Jesus hanging there on the cross, lifted up? What a pain. What a thirst. He felt abandoned from the Lord. He is cursed, isn't he? He's really cursed. He feels the curse. He feels the curse of sin burning on him. The fiery serpents attacking him. Not only other animals, also Satan attacking him. And also the wrath of God on him. That was repugnant. A snake. And Nicodemus has to heal that. Lord Jesus was like the snake in the wilderness lifted up? Yes. Because the Lord Jesus wanted to be, wanted to, wanted to be the vile one. He wanted to be the cursed one. He wanted to be the most unliked one, the rejected one, the hellish one. He wanted to be like that. You say, minister... It sounds new to me. I've never heard that before. Lord Jesus, a snake? Are you sure that Lord Jesus is going to a snake here? I am 100% sure. And let me show you from the Bible. 
I read in the Galatians letter, Christ has redeemed us, purchased, has redeemed us from the curse. What curse? The curse of the law. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse. See that? Being made a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So the Lord Jesus was the cursed one on the cross. And he, ex- he experienced those hellish agonies. And he experienced that God was against him. Or don't you read in 2 Corinthians 5 about it as well? He knew no sin, but he was made to be sin. To be sin for us. That so he may also make righteousness of God in him. How is that possible? That was the will of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus wanted to be like the snake. Want to be the curse himself. Want to be sin itself. And so absorb it and take it away and so rescue people and take the curse away from others. Him taking the curse himself. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. See, that Savior becomes really precious. Then the Lord Jesus is revealed to us. And we see it. Often, then the Lord draws his people for the first time to the Lord Jesus. They see him as the lamb. They see him as the king. They see him as the priest. They see him as the prophet. And usually they don't see him as the snake. They don't see that curse on him yet. They don't see that vileness of him, that deep suffering and hell's agonies yet. Usually the Lord reserves it for later. But how beneficial it is. How beautiful. How necessary it is. That's the gospel. There's no better gospel than the Lord Jesus became the snake. That's the gospel. That is the example. I would say one of the most beautiful examples in the Bible. So dear. I was reading the biography of Jane Bellamon this week. Little booklet. I don't know if it is in English. I read it in Dutch. It's from the time of Reverend Kirsten. A young lady attended the Lord's Supper for the first time. And there was a gezelschap afterwards, a meeting with God's people. She was there as well. Reverend Kirsten was also present. He asked the people attending, how was it today? How was it before the table? How was it when you went to the table? How was it at the table? He also asked this lady, how was it in your heart today? And she said, I rejoiced. I rejoiced very much. Reverend Kirsten was quiet. In Simmons at first, and then he said something like, I wish nobody could rejoice without Christ. 
She was rejoicing, but he had not, had not heard much about Christ. He was not too jealous of that. He said, I hope nobody can rejoice without Christ. See that? So it is necessary to know the Lord Jesus Christ. There is so much to know in him. He's not only the prophet, the priest, and the king. He's also the serpent in the wilderness. Now, God normally does not teach his people much in one day. It's part of growing up. But the more God's people feel cursed, the more it comes home. The abomination. The more they see it, how much sin there is in them. The more they see that, the more the Lord Jesus becomes also important. He must increase. We must decrease. No man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven, and he's teaching. Teaching Numbers 21. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Brings to the forethought. Looking up to the serpent. As you see, as you have heard, the people of Israel were bitten by the snakes. Most prayed, made a serpent, showed them, told them to look up to the serpent, that it will be healed, and some did. They looked up to him, were healed. No, Moses did not say, Come on your knees, try to make it this way. Just travel a couple hundred meters and come to the pole and touch the pole or something. No. Didn't say, Well, come and bring your tears. No. Didn't say that. Didn't say, Well, come with some gifts. You have to have to have something to pay the Lord back. No. What did he say? Have some feelings in your heart. But he said, if it's, although it's never without feelings, he said, just look. Just look. Not just look in the shallow sense, but the only thing, the very only thing you need is to look upon him. And that looking is an example of what? As Moses lifted up, the serpent, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. But whosoever believeth in him, believe in him, should not perish. So believing is the same as that looking. It is the looking of faith. It's the looking of, I seek salvation in him. It's the looking of, I trust him. It's the looking of, I don't flee away from him. I am dependent upon him. I trust him. I believe in him. Same faith is explained to you to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, right? Nicodemus thought that his covenant, in his covenant, the covenant would save him, his, his, his circumcision would save him, his youth would save him. But he said, no, you need to be born again. And secondly, you need to also see that it's by faith only. 
by faith only, not by works, not by doing your best, but only by just doing nothing but look upon him. That seems very futile, just look upon him. That's the true faith. It's not the worthiness of faith. It is not to please God without faith. It's not paying God without faith. It is the looking of salvation, that gaze of longing, the gaze of desiring, the gaze of depending upon him. Could it be better illustrated than this line? This teaches the gospel. Now let me add to this what we read in Isaiah 45. Verse 10, look unto me. Did you hear that, sinner? Look unto me. That's all. Look unto me, and ye shall be saved all the ends of the earth. I preached about that not too long ago, right? That's the word not only for the elect, not only for the convicted ones, not only for them that know their sins. No, it says, look unto me, be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Or think of Micah 7. Therefore, I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God to my salvation. My God will hear me. That looking upon him. May I invite sinners tonight? So deep in their sins, in the curse, so wounded, so dead, so birdly, so cold, so unconverted, they have nothing. They invite such sinners to the seek salvation in another, in him. Or oh, repent ye, repent ye, how would ye die? Believe in him, seek your salvation only in him. Rely on him entirely. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy was set before us, set before him, and do the cross, despising the shame. He said, well, the shame of being a serpent. He said, I am willing to be put up with that shame on the cross as a serpent because there is the joy presented unto me as a reward. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy set before him. The Father showed him joy. Father said, so to speak to the Lord Jesus, Son, look at this. This is the joy I set before thee. If thou would go to the cross, if thou would be the servant in the wilderness, I will reward thee with this joy. And so for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He did it all. He did not quit halfway despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That looking is the looking we are in need of. Galatians 3 verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Remember Abraham? Remember him? He was so concerned about having a child, so concerned about the future of the church. And the Lord 
invited him out of the tent, showed him the sky, and he looked at all the stars, and the Lord said, count them, count them, Abraham. He couldn't. It was innumerable. And the Lord said, so shall thy seed be. So in number as the sand of the sea and as the stars in heaven, so shall thy seed be. So shall thy seed be, Abraham. And Abraham believed God. And that was counted unto him for righteousness. Just that believing was so crucial. That simple believing, not shallow believing, as it does not until anything, no, there's a deep experiential believing of looking away from self, not looking inside, looking outside of him. The just shall live by faith, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. See? Nicodemus read the Bible and he prayed and he knew the Bible and he was a covenant child, was circumcised, his best, had all the things for him. But he had to be born again. And he had to get rid of all his self-righteousnesses. He, had to, he needed that true faith of having nothing and doing nothing, but say by that looking upon the Savior. Now there's something I cannot give you, but I have to preach it tonight, that you should not make it so difficult for yourself. As if you have to do something, as if you can bribe the Lord. You cannot bribe him. So it's offended if you just say, Lord, I have something here like this, I like something more to present it to that, like that. The Lord says, Leave it all at home. I don't need it. I don't need any payment. I am rich myself. It's an offense to give the Lord something. The Lord only is asking to look upon the land. What a blow again for Nicodemus. First, he needed to understand that he needed to be born again. And now he needs to understand that his works don't count, that faith is doing nothing. Him that worketh not, believeth in him, that justifieth the ungodly. Brings to the last thought. Congregation and the people looked upon that brazen serpent being so sick and dying, they were healed and they survived and they got up again and could walk and live again. What a wonder. And so the faith in the serpent, in the Lord Jesus Christ, means eternal life. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Some say 
Does this really refer to the Lord Jesus? Who is that son of man? Be lifted up. Well, that's not difficult to answer. Remember John 9? About the man born blind, being rejected by the Jews and rejected from the synagogue, and the Lord Jesus found him, right? You remember that? And the Lord Jesus asked him, do you believe in the Son of God? And he said, who is he, Lord, that they may know him, may believe in him? And the Lord Jesus said something like, it's me. I am the Son of Man. That's the Messiah. The Son of Man is the Messiah, also here. So must the Son of Man be lifted up to give life, eternal life. What's eternal life? This life eternal, that they may know thee. As soon as there a new birth, so so life. So it's connected to each other. Nicodemus needed to know that he needed a new birth, and he needs to also have the faith in order to enter into the kingdom of God, to see the kingdom of God, to have an eternal life. So when faith is planted in the heart, faith is given by God, there's also a new birth, and then people begin to live, living in the sense of receiving a new nature, a new will, new desires, new hunger, and in touch with God. Life, real life. Because by nature we don't live. By nature, by nature we are dead in sins and trespasses. And by the power of God, sinners are born again, Ephesians 2, and begin to live. Like the wind, right? The wind comes, you don't see the wind, you see the, blood, you see the leaves on the trees moving, you don't see the wind. And so the Holy Spirit is also not being seen and yet comes so unexpectedly, so mysteriously to the people and turns them around. Also, Nicodemus has experienced that later, as you know. All that faith gives life, and its life is also a real joy, a real joy. It's such a joy, if you may see it, for example, the Lord Jesus wanted to be a curse, to take the curse away from you. If you soak her, you feel burdened with the wrath of God. And Lord Jesus says, give me the wrath to give. I give you my favor. That joy. The joy set before the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a mutual joy. Like the prophet says, like the bridegroom rejoices in the bride. Are you there? The bridegroom rejoices in the bride, right? So my God will rejoice over thee. So in heaven, and that's life in heaven, the Lord Jesus is rejoicing in his people. And they see him. They see him. They see the lamb. They don't see the curse anymore. They see the lamb. They see the lamb slain. They see the king of kings and the Lord of lords who was so forsaken felt so forsaken on earth and is now restored in a relationship with the Lord, with his Father in heaven. So that's what we are in need of. To see God. That's life, to see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, 
we will see God. See God in his majesty, in his kindness, in, in his extreme patience, and to look upon him, and look upon him, that's life eternal. And that will go on long, an eternity long, because God's people will always be finite. God's people will never be infinite. God is infinite, right? But it's not end. Unlimited, all different aspects of, of who he is. God's people in heaven and on earth are yet limited, are yet finite. A finite people need eternity to rejoice and to know God. In heaven, there'll be no curse anymore. Revelation 22. And there shall be no more curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And then there'll be fellowship, communion with God, closeness, everlasting closeness to God. And the Lord will say, Thou art my people. And they'll, they'll re- 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 respond, Oh my God, like in Hosea too. No desire for that? For that joy? For that joy in God? God's people will also enter into the joy of the Lord. The Lord rejoicing in them, like a couple, right? Or dating, or engaged, or married. They rejoice in one another. And that's unselfish joy, and yet they like it themselves. And so in heaven, in eternal life, there'll be that extreme joy that is unspeakable. They will serve him and behold the Lamb, and they will also be without sin and without curse. Also, tonight, I may say again, look upon him and be saved. For all the ends of the earth because I'm God and none else. Don't seek salvation yourself. We have the, the Pharisees in our heart, right? We are Pharisees ourselves. We like to pay. We like to qualify. We like to bribe the Lord. The Lord says, no, only by looking. Only that's, that, that's the only way of salvation. There's no other way. Humbling, and yet also very comforting. Again, someone tonight here, so burdened with anxious care. Someone here so unqualified, disqualified for salvation, feeling the curse of sin upon him, upon her, not being able to deliver himself from it. Look upon him. Maybe you maybe you're in the back of the of the sanctuary. You feel like the publican. <coughs> you don't dare to come close. You're staying in the far back. You still see the, the pole and see the, the, the snake. Just look upon him and be saved. And then I think, the Bible doesn't say it, I think some did not want to see. They did not want to believe this. They refused to look and they died in their sins. Or what will that be? To be in hell and to experience the curse of sin and then to experience for yourself that it's your own fault and that it's your own unwillingness, your own inability, and then to be cringing and suffering so deeply forever and ever. Have you heard the gospel? Have you rejected the gospel as well? 
congregation, believing is crucial. A man is justified not by the works of the law, but by faith. You see the contrast? Not by the law, but faith. Let the law not come close. Moses lifted up the servant of the wilderness, but he cannot be saved by Moses. The Lord lifted up, lifted up his son. The father bruised him. The father abandoned him according to his feelings. And the father laid a curse on him to save a cursed people that cannot pay themselves. Look upon him and be saved. Amen.